It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Today we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and this is the most significant, the most important event in all of the Bible. Really, the resurrection is the most essential, the most foundational truth of the Christian faith, because when you take away the resurrection, you know, all the other things that we believe in Christianity start to crumble. You know, John MacArthur describes the importance of the resurrection of the Christian life like this. He says, the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of the gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking taking its place alongside all other human philosophy and religious speculation. Now, since the the resurrection is such a vital part of what we believe as Christians, it's really the biggest target of the skeptic. They realize, you know, if I want to try to undermine Christianity, that the place that I'm going to target first is the most important part of what Christians believe, which is the resurrection. And skeptics will often pose some very good questions to us, questions like, how can you be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? What evidence do you have to prove that Jesus rose from the dead? And how can I be confident that the resurrection actually happened? Now, if someone asked you those questions today, it's you know Resurrection Sunday, you're with some family or friends or, or somebody who doesn't believe in Christianity, and they were to pose those questions to you, do you feel like you would be able to give a good answer to their question. Do you feel like you could say, yes, the resurrection has plenty of evidence and let me share with you that evidence so that you can know that it's something that actually transpired. Now, the reality is there are many Christians that don't have an answer to these questions. And I used to be one of those Christians. There was a time in my Christian life where if someone posed these questions to me, I wouldn't have a good answer. I might just say something that a lot of Christians say, you know, you just need to believe this in faith. And, you know, what happens to the skeptic when they hear that is they think, okay, they don't have any answers for the questions that I'm posing because there is no evidence for the resurrection. And the sad reality is the problem isn't that there's no evidence. There's overwhelming evidence for the the resurrection. The problem is that just many Christians don't know what the evidence is. They haven't taken the time to study it. They don't uh, inform themselves well in this area. And so they haven't been able to give a good answer. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a good 
answer. And that's why this morning, you know, pretty much every uh, time that we have the, the, the celebration of the resurrection, I always kind of say, I would love to share with you the evidence of the resurrection, but we did that before. And so, you know, we're not going to do it, but it's been like five years since I've shared really the, the evidence for the resurrection. And so this morning, I, I want to look at that. And so we're going to do a CSI investigation on the resurrection of Jesus. And really, why was his tomb empty? Now, I don't know if any of you ever watched the, the CSIs. You know, they had all sorts of them. But the original one was a CSI Las Vegas. And the, the main character of that was Gil Grissom. And something that he would always tell his team is follow the evidence. If you follow the evidence, it will lead you to the truth. And so this morning, we are going to follow the evidence for the resurrection. We're going to follow the evidence for why Jesus' tomb was empty three days after he was placed in it. And if you're here this morning and you are skeptical of Christianity, or maybe you're just searching for truth and you haven't discovered what that truth is, you've never placed your trust in Jesus and the fact that he died on the cross for your sin and, and rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, as we look at the evidence for the resurrection, my hope is that it will lead you to the truth that Jesus did truly rise from the dead. Timothy Keller wrote this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You see, Jesus' resurrection proves that what he said about himself is true. And he said that he was God. He said that he, because he was God and sacrificed himself for the sins of the world, that he can forgive your sins. And he said that because he conquered death, that he can make it possible for you to have eternal life in heaven with him. And so my hope is, is that you see the truth of the resurrection, it would cause you to believe not only that the resurrection is true, but that all of what Jesus claimed is true as well and proves that he is God, that he has the power to forgive you of your sin, and that he can make it possible for you to go to heaven with him if you will place your faith in him. Now, for those of you here this morning who have already placed your faith in who Jesus is and, and what he has done for you, as we look at the evidence for the resurrection, you know, it's my hope that it will just deepen your faith. I know for myself, as, as I've looked at evidence for different things in the Bible, it just deepens my faith to know that we don't just have this blind leap into the absurd, but we have reason, we have logic, we have evidence for the things that we believe, and it just deepens my faith. But you know what? There's another thing that I hope this does. Because, you know, we're going to go out from here, we're going to be with family and friends and whoever it may be, and some of them are not going to know that there is evidence for the resurrection. They might not even fully understand what we celebrate. They might just think it's about bunnies and eggs. And you have the opportunity not only to tell them Jesus is risen, but to hopefully, after hearing this, have it fresh in your mind to be able to encourage them with the evidence that there is for why Jesus rose from the dead. Well, in the book of Acts, Luke tells us something important about the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we're told, The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, 
To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Notice here when Luke speaks about the resurrection of Jesus, he says that he appeared alive through many convincing proofs. You see, what Luke is saying is there is indisputable evidence to convince someone that Jesus truly did rise from the dead. Now, Luke was a doctor, and he carefully examined the evidence for Jesus' life, for Jesus' death, for Jesus' resurrection. And notice his conclusion isn't that there's just one or two evidences. He says there are many evidences. There are many convincing proofs for the resurrection. And so this morning, as we do our CSI investigation on the resurrection, as we follow the evidence, what I want us to do is look at many of these convincing proofs to help us see that the, that the resurrection truly did happen. Now, no matter who you are, whether you are uh, a secular scholar, an atheist who doesn't believe in God, anyone who's going to come to this subject matter and seek to try to discover whether there is any evidence for the validity of the resurrection, there are three facts that everyone starts with. These are very important facts to start with, and I will share those three facts with you. Fact number one, Jesus died from being crucified. Fact number two, after Jesus died, he was placed in a tomb. And fact number three, his tomb was found empty three days later. Now, these are three facts that are not just accepted by biblical scholars and Christians. They are also accepted by secular scholars who don't believe in Christianity. And the reason they're accepted by secular scholars is because there is so much evidence to support the fact that Jesus was crucified and that he was placed in a tomb and that three days later that tomb was empty. And one of the reasons for this is because we have many historical documents outside of the Bible. See, a lot of people think, well, the only evidence you have is what the Bible says. No, we have a lot of historical documents outside of the Bible that testify to the fact that Jesus was crucified, as the Bible says. We have this from Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, the Babylonian Talmud, Josephus, Lucian, and others. These are you know, historical uh, historians and others who are writing about events that happen, and they record the truth that Jesus truly did get crucified and die. Now, the gospel writers who wrote about Jesus' resurrection, they wrote of this within 40 years of the event. And this means that there was a large amount of firsthand eyewitnesses that would still be alive. Okay, so if something happened today and I wrote about it 40 years from now, you know, many of you would still be alive to say, hey, that's not true or yes, it is. And so if I claim Jesus died, you know, 40 years from now, you know, if you were alive when it happened and he didn't, you could say that's not true. That didn't take place. But no one came forward to dispute the fact that Jesus was crucified. Why? Because he actually was. Gerd Ludman, who is a German atheistic scholar, he wrote this, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. Now, I want you to understand who the, 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 the source is. Here is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in Christianity. But he's someone who's searched the evidence, and he says, well, I can say it's indisputable with the evidence that's there that Jesus Christ truly was crucified. Now, there's a lot of evidence also that um, Jesus was put in 
the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But the most important of the three facts is that after three days of Jesus being in this tomb, it was found empty. Now, here is a picture that I actually took myself inside the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea when my wife and I went to Israel, and this tomb still exists today. You can go there, you can see it, and the most important thing about it is it's empty. And now scholars have accepted the fact that Jesus' tomb was found empty three days after he was placed in it. And one of the biggest reasons why scholars accept this is not only because Jesus' followers claimed it, but because those who were against Jesus, those who killed him, also claimed it. In Matthew's gospel, he records for us how the the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers responded to the empty tomb. He says this in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them, His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So here we have the the Roman guards who were uh, part of watching the tomb and the religious leaders who had Jesus crucified, both definitely not wanting an empty tomb, confessing that the tomb was empty. The Jewish leaders wouldn't want an empty tomb because that would prove that they just killed the Son of God. The the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb, they wouldn't want an empty tomb because the punishment for the thing that they're guarding to be taken was death. And so that is why these religious leaders say to them, if the governor hears... Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, we will appease him for you. Well, why do they need to appease the governor for them? Because if the governor hears the one that you were watching got away, well, then you're dead. That's the punishment. That's how we deal with things here in Rome. And so they said, hey, we'll appease him and we'll make sure that nothing happens to you. And so you have these two groups that desperately did not want an empty tomb confessing to the fact that the tomb was empty. Now, this is a positive evidence of the empty tomb from a hostile source, which historically is the strongest kind of evidence that you can hope for. You see, if a source admits a fact decidedly not in its favor, then you can consider that fact genuine. Let me give you an example of that. You know, I have two girls, Scarlett and Eden, and sometimes my girls lie to me. I know maybe your kids never lie to you, but sometimes they lie to me. And the main thing they lie about are things that they know they're not supposed to do that is going to get them in trouble. And recently, Scarlett admitted to me that she hit her sister, Eden. She admitted to me a fact decidedly not in her favor because she knew admitting this was going to bring discipline to her. So when Scarlett told me she hit her sister, I believe she was telling her telling the truth because why would she tell a lie that would get her discipline? In the same way, why would the Roman soldiers or the Jewish leaders say a lie that would ultimately bring them a lot of problems. So when a hostile source who definitely didn't want Jesus' tomb to be empty admits that it's empty, that gives scholars great reason to believe the tomb was indeed empty. But you know, I think for me, the the strongest evidence for the fact that the tomb was empty is notice the first place the disciples go. 
So you know that they're after 40 days of seeing Jesus and after the day of Pentecost, they go out and they start proclaiming the gospel message. And part of the gospel message is that Jesus is risen from the dead. And notice they don't go off to some faraway country. They don't go to Rome. They don't go to Athens, which is far away from where the event happened. No, they go into the exact city, Jerusalem, where Jesus was crucified and where they are saying he rose from the dead. And the reason that's so significant is because that wouldn't last for one day. You have the religious leaders who are desperate for no one to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so if it was a lie, if his tomb was full with his body, all the religious leaders would have to do is say, these guys are lying here. Here's Jesus' body right here. He's dead. He didn't rise. The fact that they could not produce that shows that the tomb truly was empty. And so there's a lot of evidence that scholars have that lead them to trust the fact that the tomb was empty. One of those scholars is Dr. Paul Mayer. He's a historical researcher. He says this about the um, evidence for the resurrection. If all the evidence is weighed carefully and fairly, it is indeed justifiable according to the canons of historical research to conclude that the sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea in which Jesus was buried, was actually empty on the morning of the first Easter, and no shred of evidence has yet been discovered in literary sources or archaeology that would disprove this statement. Now, just like the other quote that I gave you, Dr. Paul Mayer, he is not a Christian. He's not trying to claim this because he has some religious motive within it. He's just a top historical researcher who has examined the evidence And he has concluded that the tomb of Jesus was definitely empty three days after his death. And so we have plenty of evidence, both from secular scholars that believe and biblical scholars that believe that uh, Jesus, um, these three important facts, he died, was placed in a tomb, and the tomb was found empty. And really, you have to start with that because you can't have a resurrection unless you have a death. Uh, And so that is the the starting point for our CSI investigation. And now we're going to look at some very important things. And I think the first question we need to ask as investigators is a question that scholars have been asking for many years. And this is the question that we're going to pose. What reasonable and logical explanation is there for why Jesus' tomb was found empty? I want you to really be pondering that. What is a reasonable and what is a logical explanation for the empty tomb? You see, secular scholars realize there's overwhelming evidence that Jesus was killed on a cross, that he was placed in a tomb, that tomb was found empty, but they don't want to accept the fact that the empty tomb is because Jesus rose from the dead. So they have to come up with some other reason for why the tomb is empty. And they have. They've come up with four main theories to try to explain the empty tomb without concluding that Jesus rose from the dead. And those four main theories are the swoon theory, the wrong tomb theory, the hallucinating theory, and the stolen body theory. Well, as we do our CSI investigation of the empty tomb, as we follow the evidence, you know, we're just going to look and see, do any of these four theories have a reasonable and logical explanation for the empty tomb. Well, let's start by examining the swoon theory. Did Jesus swoon? Now, the swoon theory basically says that Jesus did not die from his horrendous torture. He did not die from his crucifixion. He mainly just swooned or or fainted. 
And as they took his body, they thought he was dead because he fainted, and they put him in the tomb. The cold air of the tomb revived him. He woke up, and he somehow found a way to unwrap himself from these grave clothes that he was all wrapped in, which a, a perfectly physically healthy person would have a big difficult time to do. And then with superhuman strength that he uh, rolled a two-ton stone by himself from the inside, which means he doesn't even have a way to grab the edges of the stone. And then he fought off the Roman guards, revealed himself to his disciples and others for 40 days, and then somehow disappeared and was never seen or heard from again. Now, this theory has a lot of problems, as you could probably imagine me just explaining it. But really, the biggest problem is a medical one. You see, many secular doctors uh, in the medical field have written about the effects that Jesus's horrible scourging and crucifixion would have done to his body. Dr. Edward, uh, William Edwards wrote an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association about the uh, medical evidence for Jesus's death. And notice what he concludes. Clearly, the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. So medical doctors reveal that the medical evidence shows there's no way Jesus could have just swooned or fainted. The horrible torture he went through, what he went through on the cross... That killed him. And the medical evidence alone destroys the fact that the swoon theory it just doesn't hold water. It's false. And so I'm not even going to get into the other absurd parts of the theory that Jesus moved a, a three-ton stone by himself, that he fought off trained Roman guards by himself, and that he just disappeared from all history without being seen again. Because those things have definitely been disproven by multiple scholars. So in our CSI investigation for why the tomb is empty, and we looked at, is there any reasonable or logical explanation given by the swoon theory, we had to come to the conclusion that no, there's not. This is definitely proven to be false. So what is the reasonable and logical explanation for why Jesus' tomb was found empty? Well, here's where I want to share four facts. Four facts that I think will help us to discover the truth that the reason, the logical reason, the, the uh, reason that is going to share with us that Jesus truly rose from the dead. That's why the tomb is empty. And as we look at these four facts, we're also going to examine these three other theories that are out there. And we're going to once again see, is there any reasonable or logical uh, reason to accept them? So the first fact that I want us to note is the large stone was removed and the Roman seal was broken. So here's a picture that is a picture of the outside of the tomb. The other picture I showed you is of the inside of the tomb. And, you know, when we think of tombs today, you know, we dig holes and we put people in. But, but in the, the east, especially in Jerusalem, you know, typically you have, you know, these holes kind of like caves dug out of rock. You have this square entrance uh, and that you would go in and you would place the body in there. And this opening was covered by a large stone uh, to not only keep people from going in there, but also to keep the smell of the body from coming out. 
Now here's a picture of the entrance of Jesus' tomb that I took in Israel when Jenny, my wife, was in front of it. And uh, there's that large stone that would have been there when Jesus was there, but it's no longer there. But what is still there is the groove so that the stone sat in, which is the picture there to the right. And as you see, that groove is quite big. It's actually two feet thick. This circular stone, if you stand there, I'm six foot four, uh, for it to cover the door, you know, it had to be over six feet tall. So you have this six foot tall stone that's two feet thick. And the tour guide said that this was actually a, a larger stone than normal, and it would have weighed about three tons. So 6,000 pounds. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and his tomb is empty, well, then somebody had to move that stone in order for that body to no longer be there. And that would take a lot of strength, a lot of men. And we noted there, there's not just a huge stone. And this is something that is really important for us to take note of. Matthew's gospel tells us that the stone was sealed by a Roman seal. He tells us this in Matthew 27, 62 through 66. It says, On the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, as Jesus was alive and he had these times where he would share and the religious leaders were listening, he made it very clear that after he died, three days later, he would rise from the dead. They remember that. And so they come to Pontius Pilate and they say, Pilate, we need to make this tomb secure because he said he would rise from the dead. And the last thing we want to see is his disciples come and steal the body and then claim that Jesus was risen from the dead. And that would be a worse deception than the first one that Jesus claimed that he was God. And so Pilate gives them permission to put a Roman seal on the tomb and guards to guard this tomb. Now, it's interesting that the Jews did this to stop the disciples from stealing the body, but because they did it, it's actually another great reason for why we can trust that the resurrection actually happened. You see, when the Romans put their seal on something, it had two main purposes. First, the seal was to authenticate that which was being sealed. So it's a public testimony that what's inside of here, uh, that Jesus' body is actually there. We only seal it because... He's in there. And secondly, the seal was to declare to everyone that the thing sealed was protected by Rome. So any vandal, any thief that would come and try to uh, defame that or steal that, Rome would deal with them harshly. And because of the Roman seal, there had to be Roman guards guarding what was sealed by Rome. Now, one of the theories to prove uh, the empty tomb is the wrong tomb Theory. And it's a pretty obvious, simple one. They just claim that, well, the reason that the disciples found the tomb empty is they just went to the wrong one. If they went to the right tomb, they would have found it full with Jesus' body, but they made a mistake. They went to the wrong tomb, and that's our explanation for why the tomb is empty. Well, the Jews and the Romans who had the tomb sealed, guess what they need to make sure? 
Jesus is in there before they seal it up because they don't want anyone taking Jesus' body. They're doing this to prevent that, so they would have made sure his body was in there. And it's not a common practice at that time to have a sealed tomb by a Roman seal. This was very unique to have Roman guards, very unique. It would have been real obvious where this tomb was. All they have to do is say, there's a sealed one with Roman guards. None of the other ones have it. That's where Jesus' body is. So it's highly unlikely for the disciples to just make a mistake and go to the wrong tomb. And if the resurrection was merely a claim of going to the wrong tomb, well, then why didn't they just say, hey, wait, wait, they went to this tomb. It's actually this tomb. Here's his body. I mean, they would have crushed the resurrection. They would have crushed the teaching of it like that because it's just the wrong tomb. But they were never able to point and say, no, no, it's a wrong tomb. Here's his body in the right tomb. Why? Because the right tomb truly was empty. And so this theory does not match the evidence and has been proven false by many historical scholars. Now, the most popular theory that's out there is the stolen body theory. And this theory basically says that the disciples of Jesus, they came and stole the body, but I want you to think about you know, what would have to go into doing that. And so they had to defeat Roman soldiers who were guarding it. They had to move this 6,000-pound stone that was covering it. Um, and, you know, does this fit with the evidence? First of all, there's no way that Jesus' disciples could have defeated fully trained Roman soldiers. There's a reason why Rome conquered the world at the time. Their soldiers were highly trained, and they were very good at killing people. Now, let's think about Jesus' disciples. They're, they're fishermen. They're, they're tax collectors. They're not trained fighters. Not even all of them would have even had a weapon. And to think that these guys could come and take on Roman soldiers and defeat them is highly unlikely. But let's also remember the punishment for anyone stealing that body would mean that these Roman soldiers would have been put to death. So guess what? They're going to be fighting to the death. There's no way they're like, you know what? We're eating. We're tired. If you want Jesus' body, you can have him. No. Someone goes to take that body. They'll fight to the death because they know they'll be killed if that body is taken. And so since all the disciples except for Judas were alive after the resurrection, if you were to hold to this uh, thing, then you'd have to believe all the disciples survived that battle. I mean, how likely is it that every single one of the disciples goes into a battle with these trained Roman soldiers and not one of them would have been killed? But you know what? I think the biggest thing for me is let's not forget who we're talking about here. In order to try to defeat highly trained Roman soldiers, that would take a huge amount of bravery and courage, very little concern for your own life. When Jesus was arrested right before this, what happened to all the disciples? They fled for fear of their lives. Peter, who was their leader, the one who that would have been supposedly the most brave, what did he do? He denies Jesus three times, and one of those times is to a little servant girl. After Jesus was killed, where do we find these supposedly brave disciples? They're hiding in an upper room for fear that they're next. So were we really meant to believe that these disciples who fled for their lives, who denied Jesus, who hid for fear that overnight they get extremely bold, attack Roman soldiers, remove a three-stun stone, and steal Jesus' body. I think that is a very, very unlikely scenario. So this theory also does not match the evidence and has been proven false by many historical scholars. Now, it is a fact that the stone was moved. It is a fact that the tomb was empty. And so the question still comes, 
How did that happen? Well, the reason we're told in the Bible of why the stone is moved, why the seal was broken, why the tomb is empty, is in Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. It says this, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So Matthew tells us the thing that rolled away this stone was an angel that came down from heaven. And there was this great earthquake that came with it, and his countenance was like lightning, his clothing was like white as snow. And notice how the Roman soldiers who are guarding the tomb respond to this. They respond to this angel and this earthquake and this you know, bright light from this angel. They shook for fear and become like dead men. And this brings us to the second fact that we need to look into, and that is the fact that the Roman guards flee their post. And so we just need to ask a question. What event could possibly cause Roman guards to flee a post when the consequence for fleeing the post is death? What would have to happen for guys who know, if I go, I'm dead? I mean, you, you would stay no matter what. I mean, what would have to occur for these Roman soldiers to leave their post? I mean, surely they wouldn't have fled because some disciples, some fishermen, some tax collectors came at them with swords. They would have fought those guys, no problem. They wouldn't have fled for that. A reasonable and logical explanation for why these highly trained Roman guards would flee their post is because they saw something miraculous. You see, they were trained to fight men. They weren't trained to fight angels. They just saw something that blew their mind, an angel descending from heaven, an earthquake, lightning it looked like. I mean, he's glowing with this bright white clothing, and they are shaking for fear because they've never experienced something like this, and it causes them to flee their post. Well, this brings us to fact number three. After his death, Jesus appeared alive to many people. You know, I feel that this is probably the most overwhelming reason for why we can hold to the truth of the resurrection. The women, the disciples, many others not only saw Jesus, not only heard Jesus, but they touched him after he rose from the dead. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After the resurrection, Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. So after Jesus' resurrection, Paul says he was seen by over 500 people at one time. And then he also tells us that most of these witnesses are still alive during the writing of this letter that Paul wrote. And so what he's saying is, hey, if you don't believe me, you can go talk to these hundreds of witnesses that are still alive to this day, and they will testify to the fact that they did see the risen Jesus. Now, when studying an event in history, it's important to know whether enough people who were eyewitnesses to the event were alive when the facts about the event were published. Okay, so if something's published hundreds of years after the fact, then you have no eyewitnesses still alive to refute it. But if it's published in close proximity to when the event actually happened, then that makes it so much more likely to be true because you have all these eyewitnesses who could stand forth and say, no, wait a second, that didn't happen. 
For example, if we all witness a murder and later a police report turns out to be a fabrication of lies, you know, we as eyewitnesses can refute it. We can say, well, wait a second, that's not true. But we saw what happened here, and, and that's not what happened, and what they're saying here, and that person wasn't there. And you know, we would be able to come forward, and the more of us that come forward, the stronger the evidence becomes. Now, having 500 witnesses to be able to come forward and all say at the same time, we saw the risen Jesus, that's quite an overwhelming amount of evidence. Dr. Edwin Yamachi, an associate professor of history at Miami University, he says something very significant about all these eyewitnesses. What gives a special authority to the list of witnesses as historical evidence to the reference to most of the 500 brethren being still alive? St. Paul says, in effect, if you don't believe me, you can ask them. Such a statement in an admittedly genuine letter written within 30 years of the event is almost as strong an evidence as one could hope to get for something that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. Now, when you take these 500-plus witnesses who all claim that they saw Jesus alive after he was dead, and if you were to place them in a courtroom, do you realize that all 500 of them were only on the stand for six minutes, including cross-examination, that you would have an amazing 50 hours of first-hand eyewitness testimony? You add this to all the other people that saw the risen Jesus, you know, that would be the most lopsided trial in history when all those people keep coming forward and saying, hey, we saw him, we experienced him, we know that he rose from the dead. So the only reasonable and logical explanation for the fact that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus is that Jesus indeed rose from the dead and revealed himself to them. Now the fourth theory to try to explain the empty tomb is the hallucinating theory, and it's really kind of trying to target these 500 eyewitnesses. And this theory basically states that the disciples, these Roman guards, these 500 others, you know, they didn't really see anything. They were just hallucinating. They thought they saw Jesus. They thought they saw a risen person, but really it was all just a hallucination. Well, does this theory fit with the evidence? You know, today hallucinations have been studied medically for many years, and what doctors have discovered really poses a serious problem to this theory. Dr. Gary Collins, a well-respected psychologist, said this about hallucinations. Hallucinations are individual occurrences. By their nature, only one person can see a given hallucination at a time. They certainly aren't something which can be seen by a group of people. Neither is it possible that one person could somehow induce a hallucination in somebody else. Since a hallucination exists only in this subjective personal sense, it's obvious that others cannot witness it. Now, what Dr. Collins here is revealing about hallucination goes completely against this theory where are claiming that 500 people at one time all had the exact same hallucination. Well, hallucinations don't last very long, maybe a few minutes. This one supposedly lasts for 40 days. They're very rare, maybe only happen once unless you have a, a really bad uh, mental illness. This one supposedly happened over and over to multiple people. They're unique and different in each person, but 500 people at once had the exact same hallucination. You know what? Hallucinations don't eat real fish. Jesus did. Hallucinations don't provide rational teaching. Jesus did. So psychologists have shown that it would have been impossible for everyone who saw Jesus to be alive to be hallucinating. So that be the theory. But you know what? I think this theory has an even bigger problem. 
They don't answer the question, why was Jesus' tomb found empty? Because that's really the question that these theories are supposed to be answering. The theory claims that everyone who saw the risen Jesus was just hallucinating because his body was still dead in a tomb. Well, if Jesus is still dead, then where's his body and why is the tomb empty? So this theory is horrible because it, it doesn't explain the empty tomb at all. It's just trying to disprove that over 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive, which it doesn't do a very good job at at all, and it doesn't even address the fact that Jesus' tomb was empty. So once again, as we examine the, the evidence, do we have a reasonable and logical explanation to buy into the hallucination theory? No. Definitely one that is false. So the evidence leads us back to our question. There's one final fact that I want us to look at as we do our CSI investigation on why the tomb was empty. This is my favorite fact of all, the disciples changed lives. Now, for me, this is the most compelling. I think something that gives great proof to the truth of what they believed. Remember the disciples, they abandoned Jesus, denied Jesus, were fearful for their lives, hiding from authorities. So an important question to ask is, what event could have possibly changed these disciples so drastically in a matter of days? What event could have possibly caused them to go from abandoning Jesus to following him? From denying Jesus to being the first one to preach to over 3,000 people? From being fearful for their lives to being so bold that they're willing to give their lives for the message of the resurrection? What could have caused them to go everywhere telling people Jesus rose from the dead? Now, if someone were to say there were some visible benefits, that they had a lot of rewards for doing this, that they had prestige and wealth and increased social status and material benefits, then you could logically say, okay, well, that's the reason why they perpetuated this message that wasn't really true. So what did these disciples receive? for telling the message of the risen Jesus. They were beaten, stoned to death, beheaded, dipped in oil, impaled, crucified, and the list goes on and on. You see, every conceivable method was used to stop them from talking, but they laid down their lives as the ultimate proof of their complete confidence in the truth of their message. And just put yourself in their situation. If you knew that what you were proclaiming was a lie, when they throw you on that cross and they're about to pierce your hands and your feet with those nails, or you know they're about to impale you or dip you in boiling oil or feed you to lions or whatever it may be, you would right away be, wait a second, <laughs> I've been lying. You know, don't impale me, don't spear me, don't do these things. It's not true. Because once your life was about to be extinguished, then that lie would no longer be something that you would want to take to the grave. But you know what? They didn't do that. They were convinced of the truth that Jesus was risen from the dead, and all but John were killed for that message. Charles Colson wrote this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. 
You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So as we examine the evidence, as we look at these four facts, that the large stone was removed and the Roman seal was broken, that the Roman guards fled their post, that Jesus appeared alive to many people, that the disciples' lives were changed, we really come back to this very important question that we started with, and that is, why was Jesus' tomb empty three days after he was placed in it? The evidence shows it wasn't because he swooned. It wasn't because the disciples went to the wrong tomb. It wasn't because the disciples stole Jesus' body. It wasn't because people were hallucinating. As we follow the evidence, it leads us to the truth that the only reasonable and logical explanation of all four of these facts is that Jesus truly did miraculously rise from the dead. Lee Strobel was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He actually now lives here in Houston. He went out to disprove Christianity. And he recognized that if I want to disprove Christianity, all I really need to do is disprove the resurrection. And so he went out to try to do that. And as he went and, and asked great questions using his research and his investigative and, uh, ways, and he went and talked to all these leaders in the Christian faith, he discovered more and more evidence and more and more evidence. And it led him from going to, from I want to disprove Christianity to being someone who believed it and put his faith in Jesus, and he wrote this. I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following him would be inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. The resurrection is the greatest proof that the good news of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for us is true. The resurrection proves he is God. It proves he has the power to forgive us of our sins. It proves he has the power over death, which enables us to have life eternally with him in heaven. So believing that Jesus is God, believing that he died on the cross, believing that he rose from the dead is not some blind belief into the absurd. It's a belief based on evidence, a belief based on facts, a belief based on truth. And because of that, putting your trust in Jesus and following him, as Lee Strobel said, is the most rational and logical step you could possibly take. So if you came here this morning skeptical of Christianity, or maybe just searching for truth, and you've never believed in the fact that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, I hope that the evidence for the resurrection convinces you, not only that he rose, but that all his claims about himself are true, that he is God, that he can forgive you of your sins, that he can conquer death for you and bring life to you for all eternity with him in heaven, if you will put your trust in him. You know, in a moment, we're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice by taking communion together. But before we do that, I'm just going to take a moment to just pray as we prepare our hearts for that. And as I pray, if you have never put your trust in Jesus, you have never asked him to forgive you of your sins, you have never really just put your belief in the fact that he is God and that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, 
You know, this morning as we celebrate this wonderful, wonderful resurrection, I'm going to give you an opportunity. An opportunity to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to put your trust in Him, to follow Him, and to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And that this wonderful resurrection Sunday will be one that you will never forget because your life will be changed for all eternity. Let's pray.